Get ready for a week-long celebration of music, community and fabulous fun with Joy Radiothon 2024. Joy has the largest collection of rainbow podcast content in the world and you can help keep us out loud and proud by donating during Joy Radiothon 2024. Just go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. Mark it in your calendars because Joy Radiothon returns June 1st to 7th and remember, we all flourish with joy. This is How Do You Do That with Emily Tresseter on Joy 94.9, the show answering the questions you didn't even know you had. This week's guest is cabaret performer, producer and mentor, plus online creator, MC, and plenty more, Tash York. We talk about her road from musical theatre to cabaret, why setting too big a goal can sometimes be detrimental, plus how she creates her signature style. I feel like we all love a sense of community or feeling connected. I think that's why live art exists. I think that's why it took a little while, but eventually people kind of went, oh my goodness, we don't have this live element of performing and whatnot during the pandemic. Before we take a deep dive into how Tash York got to where she is today, I asked her to describe a typical Tash York show. Usually some sort of outrageous costume uh, to start with. That's, that's, you know, key these days. It's funny, I've been mentoring a lot of people at the moment and, you know, a lot of them go like, what do you do first? And a lot of the time I actually design a poster and figure out what I'm wearing because for some reason that is a really important part of my process as to how I feel on stage and what kind of power and energy I'm going to bring towards it. Mm. But back to your question. Yeah, some sort of outrageous costume. Uh, I do I do a lot of uh, improvising. So you'd expect some sort of song made up on the spot by my gorgeous musicians. At the moment, I'm working with the Red Red Wines, which are a drag duo. And uh, one of them plays piano, one of them plays violin. And believe it or not, the two of them can just improvise music together. And I improvise song over the top of that, which is pretty cool. Then, yeah, usually some very true and embarrassing stories about my life. Um, some great singing uh, at the moment. I'm having a really great time putting my new show together and really and new songs together as well. I'm writing a lot of original stuff at the moment and really leaning into you know that sort of like girl group three part harmony, like really beautiful sounding stuff that's still crass and hilariously funny. Um, I really am enjoying playing with that juxtaposition at the moment. So yeah, it's always sort of molding and morphing, but yeah, usually some sort of relatable story with a bit of heart at the end and a campy cabaret time. Could we call you a cabaret connoisseur? Oh, yes, you could. Yeah. Someone <laughs> the other day referred to me as the first lady of cabaret, and I wasn't sure if that was an old reference or whether that was just because I can achieve all of the things that, you know, any of the first ladies in cabaret ever did. I'm not sure. I took it as a compliment, though, so it's fine. I think that's a compliment for sure. Yeah. It sounds regal, which I'm always about. Did you always want to be in cabaret? Absolutely not. I didn't even know what it was, to be honest. <laughs> was a very long journey from uh, wanting to just be famous on Home and Away. Like, that was it. That was the extent of my goals. And then it was to then, you know, just be a pop star because, you know, that was the next logical step. And then I kind of figured that, like, I'm pretty good at singing and I'm pretty good at acting. I didn't really know what that meant for me outside of school because I had no money, obviously. And so I decided to do community musical theatre and that was kind of my main shtick for probably from when I was 18 until I was about 25 and, you know, studied it, went to music theatre school. You know, it was really, really a different person back then. Um, you know, none of the glitter, none of the big eyelashes, none of the fur, nothing. It was, yeah, a wild time and it wasn't until 
sort of halfway through uni when I realized like, oh, music theater is so not for you <laughs> that I, um, yeah, I found cabaret uh, through just one of the subjects we were doing at uni and I've not really looked back since. Wow. So you were, you were still at musical theater school when you made the pivot. Yeah. Well, I mean, I kind of just finished it. Do you know what I mean? That's, that's who I am as a person. Like I just finished degrees. I was at uni for eight years and I did a business degree. I did a drama degree and then I did a music degree in musical theater. Like I was really institutionalized. I loved it. Uh, (laughs) And then, yeah, about halfway through that music theater degree, I kind of realized that I I don't sound like a music theater performer. Uh, you know, the kinds, the kinds of roles that I was even playing at uni were roles for sort of like, 40 to 55 year old women so it was like wow this career is not going to be a thing for me for a little amount of time because uh, I couldn't dance but I was very good at singing and acting so yeah hey, cabaret kind of not a triple <laughs> threat but a double threat <laughs> I mean, I I find, you know, I've got other like threats now that I can just put it in, you know, like I I would consider, you know, like my makeup skills, a third threat, you know, I consider the amount of cats that I can procure at any one time, another threat, you know, like there's so many things you can just make your own threats. (laughs) There's not only the three, there's not only the three. (laughs) I love that. If if we take one thing away from our chat, I hope it's that. Just make up your third threat. Make make up all your own threats. You can call yourself a quadruple threat if you want to. Live the dream, right? Just make it up and people will come along. That's what I found a lot, which is basically cabaret. (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty amazing. I wanted to know, once Tash found this avenue, cabaret, how she actually went about making her own cabaret shows in the beginning. Because you really have created a little empire. Thanks, mate. See, first lady with her empire. I'm getting so many regal terms today. I'm really into it. Um, (laughs) Well, I actually had no idea. I knew that I had to get out of Brisbane because that's where I was living at the time because I knew that there wasn't like a huge independent scene there um, because this was sort of 2013 that I graduated. And during that 2013 time, a friend of mine who lived in Melbourne actually was doing a project, sort of a cabaret project, but it was more sort of music theatre in a cabaret setting, if that makes sense. And so we basically like strung together a whole bunch of music theatre songs, but put it into a cabaret-like show. The show was called Velvet Addiction. And we did like a little bit of a tour and everything. And I kind of got to see how it all sort of worked behind the scenes, which was terrifying, but also like, okay, cool. Like, you know, you've just got to make sure that you book the right venue. You've got to make sure you work with the right people. You've got to make sure that, you know, you have a concept that sells well. And if you've got all of that right, then the rest of it's a lot easier. So it was a really good like foundation into what was to come. Obviously, you know, you don't get it right the first time. And (laughs) I, I, you know, went and did my first show, These Things Take Wine. And although we received lots of, you know, great reviews and awards and all that sort of thing, I had no idea how to produce and was just throwing it in certain venues and certain things that I thought I had to do. Yeah, that's the part of cabaret, I guess, that no one really tells you about is to like, how do you make someone care about something you've written that's very deeply personal? How do you make people care? Have you figured it out? (laughs) Tell you all my secrets. No, (laughs) I think I definitely uh, have have figured it out a lot more over the years. But I also think as you become more of a personality and as you do more things and as you're in the industry for a lot longer time, it becomes less about – I mean, obviously, you still – 
talking about things that are deeply personal and you're still, you know, making sure that it's a good show. But I, for me, you know, like early on, I really sort of focused on like my first show, These Things Take Wine, you know, catchy title, there's a pun in the title, it's about wine, you kind of know what you're up for. The poster was me with my hair in a wreck, that kind of thing. Like having a show title that matches the show content and having a photo that really captures it well, like that's half the battle, I would say, in cabaret and that sort of thing. Like you can't just be expecting to have your music theatre headshot from uni on a poster and being like, cool, I'm going to talk about the world health crisis right now. It's like, what? That doesn't make sense. So I think, um, you know, in really figuring out the marketing of what your what's current, for me anyway, personally, I sort of try to find what's current, what I would like to talk about and what's something that the audience can take away from it. And if you can encapsulate that in a title and a photograph, then that usually helps. It usually uh, makes other people care about it. But uh, as you sort of progress on, like this is now, you know, 2021. And although we've had a gap for 18 months, um, you know, the more you do stuff and the more people trust your brand and trust what you put out there and know your personality, eventually that doesn't become as much of a priority and more of it becomes a priority of when, where and how you can get to everyone that you want to get to. Here I thought about Tash having a business degree. I wondered if it informs how she does operate her business now. I definitely think I have a business degree, but I'd say a lot of my business acumen actually came from working in businesses. Like when I was living in Brisbane, I worked for a bank. I worked as a customer sales representative. I worked as a recruiter for a call center. I worked as, (laughs) um, even when I moved down to Melbourne, uh, I worked in accounts payable. So I think my on the job experience was probably more useful than my actual business degree. I think I kind of just skated through that and learnt whatever I had to for an exam and hoped for the best, to be honest. Um, But I think it definitely gave me an understanding of the fact that the arts is a business. Like, you know, they call it show business for a reason. And, um, you know, you can make the most wonderful art in the world. But at the end of the day, if no one sees it, then you're still going to have no money for rent at the end of the week. So it's, uh, it's totally that thing. Yeah. Okay, so Tash understands the importance of creating consistent work and the business behind her shows. But speaking of the content of her shows, how does she find her ideas? Most of the time, it's kind of a bit of a strange process. I kind of figure out what I want to talk about first and foremost, and then I sort of have a look at what's you know, what's topical at the time as well. And and most of the time, a lot of it relates because, you know, we're all humans in the same world and that's what happens, right? And so having a look at, you know, particular trends or particular, you know, like meme culture and hashtags and all that sort of thing was a really great thing for me as a cabaret artist, particularly, because you could kind of see, you know, what things people were finding funny or what, what kind of humor was making people laugh, you know, by seeing what was popular and being sent around. And so for me, it was kind of about converging those two ideas of, or actually three ideas of what did I want to sing, what did I want to say, and what do people care about? And for me, it was always about that relatable quality of what's relatable in my life that's also the same for other people out there. You know, I speak a lot about my mental health in my shows, and um, that's been a really large underpinning of a lot of the work that I do as well, of just trying to be an advocate for that and trying to show people that, yes, you can be outrageous and have a million wigs on and be super confident and standing in latex, but also you could be, you know, deeply anxious and that that's okay and that those two worlds exist. Why is what you do important to you, to Tasha? 
Good question. During the pandemic, it definitely became very obvious to me that I had been putting a lot of value on my self-worth around what I did as a career and what my job was. But as I sort of got, I I really thought that that's what it was to begin with. And as we sort of got through, because, you know, (laughs) it just kept happening, right? Um, As we sort of got through, it was really that sense of community that, you know, when I was doing my online shows and it was just me in my spare bedroom trying to get a bunch of people of my friends on Zoom and getting them to do acts and, you know, getting us all together. And that sense of community, that sense of community being, you know, with the cabaret community or with the, you know, the wider performance community, like not having that backstage or pre-show or going to the sound check together or helping each other out with a ride home, that kind of sense of community. Uh, but then the wider sense of community of, you know, how many people were, you know, just logging on from their lounge rooms and saying like, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for keeping us entertained or putting a smile to our face. And I think those two things are the most important part to me about doing cabaret. And that's why I keep doing it because, you know, the amount of uh, outpourings of love and whatnot online is obviously great. But, you know, when you get a really deeply personal message from a fan saying like, thank you so much for making me aware that, you know, people like yourself have anxiety or thank you so much for sharing your story about your relationship with your father or, you know, those sorts of things. Yeah, they they really mean the world to me as well. Why do you think what you do is important to the world? I, I, I almost think it's the same thing in reverse. I feel like we all love a sense of community or feeling connected. I think that's why live art exists. I think that's why it took a little while, but eventually people kind of went, oh my goodness, we don't have this live element of performing and whatnot during the pandemic, right? A lot of people, you know, obviously were devastated about their own lives and their businesses and da 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 but there was a real sense of eventually everything was just pre-recorded and everyone's watching things on Netflix and everyone's doing that, that, you know, this idea of doing live streams and actually just being in someone else's house and, you know, seeing it live and have you know it's not the same as the real thing but it was what a lot of people craved because you know there is that sense of connectedness that sense of you know sharing an experience with other people and i think that's i think that's the reason why cabaret is important and why all performance is important really what is the best part about what you do i think the best part about what i do is that as much as it's a massive hustle and a struggle is that I get to control what I do. I think especially coming out of a music theatre background where, you know, you have to look a certain way and you have to sound a certain way and you have to stand in the same place every night on stage and you have to be in the same cast with a whole group of people, (laughs) which may be lovely, but if you, you know, you may be lovely. Uh, I think for me, that sense of freedom that I get and accomplishment I get from going to a completely different city and looking around the audience and not knowing a single person in the audience. That's a really cool feeling for me that that really makes me feel like, you know, my stories are something that genuinely the world in general needs to hear. It's not just, you know, my mum selling tickets to her work (laughs) friends and dragging them along, like, (laughs) which don't get me wrong, every cabaret performer starts there. Do not worry if that's the stage you're at right now. It took me a lot of years to break out side of that but it is yeah it is a great sense of accomplishment to have my own schedule and to choose when and where I'll be performing as much as it's hard work yeah it's kind of really liberating in that sense speaking of that hard work what do you think the worst part about what you do is (laughs) I definitely think the most difficult part of being a self-producer and an independent is just the fact that sometimes especially when I was first starting out that a lot of people wouldn't really take you seriously and you know something that you've poured your heart and soul into and 
you know, trying to pitch to big venues or trying to get someone to take you on board to produce you or that sort of thing. You know, it's it's the same with anyone in the arts industry, I guess. But for some reason, you know, when it's your business and it's your creative, like, heart <laughs> put together, uh, it feels a lot worse sometimes. And um, I definitely think that's that's hard to take. And, you know, it's it's also sometimes, like, you just don't have – the money and the resources to do what you want to do and feeling like you're constantly, you know, not putting your best foot forward or your best business forward can sometimes be really disheartening because you can try as much as you like. But sometimes at the end of the day, you know, if you're in certain festivals or certain venues or certain situations, you just need a bit of startup capital or a bit of capital to put behind you to get the word out there because there's so many other people who do have it. So that's definitely a huge frustration I have sometimes. Um, but I think, yeah, I think it's something that I'm definitely getting better at. And I think the pause, as much as I hated the pandemic, I think the pause of that actually has really sort of, I guess, got me to collect my thoughts around that and ha- given me a chance to save some money so that I can sort of start fresh, which is exciting. As we mentioned from the very beginning, not only do you perform your shows but you also produce them and you said that the best part about what you do is almost the sense of autonomy and the fact that you can do what you want to do even though there is those sort of struggles in terms of needing like financial capital and stuff would you have it any other way would you want to work underneath a a bigger umbrella company or are you happy with how you do it now I definitely uh, have toyed with uh, you know getting someone to produce me a number of times I've you know tried to sell shows to people a number of times which has worked to varying degrees and for me I've actually found a really nice balance I guess between doing my solo stuff and hosting and so uh, next year I'm part of the briefs company which they do amazing circus shows and all that sort of stuff and they've got a late night show called sweatshop which is a big company and they are you know taking me on tour and on the road and all that sort of thing but they're still allowing me to do my solo cabaret stuff on the side which is really awesome because you know they've started from the ground up just like me and now they're this massive juggernaut of a company so it's really cool in lots of ways to be working with a big company like that in particular to sort of you know see like what the next level is you know what's what's in the in store hopefully um so yeah it's kind of yeah really wonderful that i've got that opportunity to kind of have the best of both worlds next year which is the first time I've had that which is very exciting that is very exciting did you ever see yourself where you are today when you were at musical theater school (laughs) no (laughs) absolutely not like I thought I would just be doing touring children's productions in regional Victoria for the rest of my life like that's what (laughs) I thought my life would be which is nothing there's nothing wrong with that by the way but uh, that they were the only jobs that I could get out of uni and at music theater school I was you know I was I was fairly realistic unlike a fair chunk of my classmates you know I I knew that you know I wasn't a strong dancer so I probably wouldn't get into the ensemble of any shows I knew that I wasn't enough of a name yet so I probably wouldn't get any character roles or anything and I didn't really sort of look like anyone else so I wasn't going to get cast you know in that sort of that typecasty sort of way that a lot of music theater roles do so I knew that I had a bit of a, a bit of a long road ahead of me which is why you know I'd always hustled even at uni you know I sang for bands and you know did corporate weddings and that sort of thing because I I just wanted to sing and I wanted to perform and so I guess there's a part of me that knew that I'd still be doing it but not in the capacity that I'm doing it in now definitely 
that. Yeah, because this is your main thing now, right? Like we spoke about earlier that you worked in banks and you worked in a bunch mm. of different arenas. Yeah, when you first moved to Melbourne, but now this is this is your main gig. Yeah, it's my only gig, and it's been that way since two thousand end of two thousand and eighteen, I think, which is pretty cool. Obviously, there was a pandemic in between, so I'm totally counting those years. <laughs> but uh, I assume it probably would have stayed the same. But you know, it's not all just cabaret as well. Like I've still got an umbrella of different things that I do in order to keep myself afloat um, because, you know, definitely the Fringe Festival circuit is a huge in- income part for me. But then, you know, during the rest of the year when there's not Fringe Festivals around or comedy festivals or whatnot, then it's like, what do you do? And so having those different avenues of income or different stream streams of income um, is a really important thing for an independent performer as well because, you know, you never know when a once in 100 year pandemic will hit or, uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> whether yeah or whether you know you might lose your voice or you might you know like there's so many things that can happen so having yeah a number of different things to focus on that sometimes can be frustrating but it's a safer way to maintain your lifestyle and to be able to do the things you really love now that's a hot tip from Tasha. hey <laughs> <laughs> you have been cabareting for quite a while now we've, we've spoken about it quite extensively mm. has there been a moment or potentially moments since you started that have really validated what you do? Yeah, I think I was actually talking to uh, Jamie Burgess, who's an amazing uh, composer and whatnot in Melbourne. And Jamie's in the process of writing his memoirs at the moment. And he rang me yesterday and he and I did a show, which he wrote. And look, the the whole experience was amazing, but also a bit of a disaster. And he rang me asking, going, would you like to like write a passage for my memoirs about how much of a disaster that that show was? And I was like, this is hilarious. And I was like, I don't remember seeing it as much of a disaster. And then once he reminded me, I was like, oh, that's right. And I think that was because straight after that show closed, it closed on like a Saturday night. And then the Monday morning, he and I were in Perth for Perth Fringe. And and as a sorry, an apology, I guess, <laughs> to me, um, he came to Perth and played for my show free of charge because of all of the work and stuff I'd done for his show, which was awesome. Love a skill swap. And <laughs> we were playing it downstairs at the Madge, which was always one of those iconic venues that I wanted to play because it's, you know, in a giant big old theater and so many cabaret stars and stuff have performed there. And it was just this like wild juxtaposition of like doing this project that we were all just like hating on life and then finding like going to this venue and it was stunning and glorious by the end of that week you know Jamie and I had been runner-up for best cabaret at the entire festival against you know all these other shows that had like tens of thousands of dollars of budget and I was there just on some like tiger credits or something and just hoping like it was like it was such a wild but that was probably like one of the moments where it was like oh cool I can do this thing and the, the award was a sweet note as well but just that idea of like yeah getting to play those venues and getting to just completely change the narrative of your life I think that's something that I'll continuously adore about this career is that if you're sort of in a rut you can just do some amazing gig in a Spiegel tent with the biggest glitteriest dress you've had on in your life and all of a sudden everything's fine again so it's great (laughs) (laughs) ebbs and flows but always glitter always glitter always eyelashes it's what you need (laughs) what would you tell someone who was thinking about getting into performance or cabaret specifically 
I think I would tell them that it's 80, well, when you first start, it's 80% hustle and 20% actual performing. I think a lot of young performers really hate that, (laughs) which is actually the reality. Like even people who are big superstars and stuff now, like there's still that element of hustle that they have to, you know, make sure that they've got the right performers in their show or make sure that the band sounds great or make sure that, you know, they've got the right costume for the right photo shoot, that they're, you know, on, that they don't lose their voice. Like there is a whole element of performing that, yes, it sounds glamorous and it's wonderful, but is is tiring. And that's that's the better part of it then, not to mention if you're self-producing like me, that you're doing grant applications, you're submitting to festivals, you're writing press releases, you're making posters, you're editing videos. I could go on. But like, <laughs> I think the idea that it's all just going to be someone will discover you, get that out of your head immediately and you'll have a much easier time with going, cool, I'm going to work really hard to make sure as many people as possible see what I do and I believe in that. Do you think that you'll be doing this forever? I don't know, to be honest. I have had a lot of people ask me that. I've really been getting into the mentoring space recently and I'm really enjoying that. And, you know, potentially potentially it won't be like as exhaustive eventually, but I think I'll still always be performing. Like I really always say to everyone that like, I just want to be that woman that's like head to toe still in sequins when she's like 85 and just walking into a theater and like, you know, the bar's been named after me or something. And like, <laughs> and then like everyone's like, there's Tash York. Oh, yeah. Natasha York bar, you know, oh, like I kind of like love that, you know, when you see like these like gorgeous old women at the theater and they're wearing every piece of jewelry they've ever owned and they've like bought a seat in the theater and they're like, that's my seat, you know, I I just want to be one of those people. Like it's such a weird aspiration, isn't it? I Um, know I can totally picture it though, which is (laughs) the coolest part. The thing about having goals like that long term, I find sometimes in the past that's hindered me. So I try to sort of only stick for the next three to five years so that I'm a bit open to what could happen rather than trying to just like force myself into this particular shape or particular mode. I think that that's something that I've definitely learned like over the last couple of years because yeah you you can think you want something you can think that when that happens everything will change for you but when that doesn't happen that's a really unexpected low that you don't want to deal with. (laughs) That definitely happened to me like Edinburgh 2018 And I went there, you know, with a solo show for the first time. And, you know, the first two nights I had like, I don't know, seven or eight people. And then all of a sudden, like, I had like a good review and it exploded. And I basically sold out my entire season, which is like an absolute dream. Like, dreams come true. And, you know, I was like, great. Like, I've sold out Edinburgh. Like, I'm in a big four venue. Someone's going to pick me up and produce me. Everything's going to be different now. You know, you're going to come back to Australia and everyone's going to, you know, think this, this and this. And, you know, like, obviously everyone was like, yeah, great. But, like, nothing really changed. (laughs) And I had this goal for so long. And I really crashed and burnt after that. Like, I really, you know, had a tough time of, like, coming to terms with the fact that just because I'd set these goals for myself doesn't mean that anyone else has to acknowledge them or, you know, reward you for them. Like, it's, um, it's yeah, it's an interesting thing to learn. Um, It was definitely tough, but I'm glad I learned it at that stage. Well, I think performance and the arts generally, it's so tough with stuff like that because in your mind you would think, okay, yeah, this is the natural progression. I'm making a Mm -hmm. good show. I'm creating good content. I'm I'm therefore getting a good amount of people come through the show. Okay, wow, I sold out. That's the next step. Okay, wow, I'm at this great venue. That's the next step. But there really is no ladder for performing arts. So there's no real – you can't say, hey, okay, I've got this degree and now I'll get this job because there's no pathway. There's no – 
cemented way in which you will then create, you know, huge success. Totally. And like, you know, there is this there is this idea that there's definitely certain stepping stones and whatnot, but like sometimes those stepping stones aren't what they're advertised to be, if that makes sense. Like, you know, you think, you know, there's security in certain jobs or you think there's uh, security in certain venues, but then that year, you know, something happens to that venue and, you know, you go down with it as well. You know, like there's, there's so many external forces in this industry that will, you know, constantly surprise you. So... Yeah, that's, I guess, why I've kind of stuck to doing stuff myself a lot, which, you know, I'm definitely trying to learn to outsource smaller things <laughs> a lot more. But, you know, it, it is tricky for me to relinquish that. Before I let her go, I asked Tash York, what's next? What's coming up? Well, Emily Tressida, I'm in the process of writing a brand new show at the moment. It was supposed to be premiering at Melbourne Fringe, but obviously, alas, that was not a time. And it's called Happy Hour, and it's basically just a beautiful celebration of all of us finally getting to be together in a room again. It's, you know, obviously centered around a lovely drinking time, but also it is for everyone. You can be sober, you can be drunk, you can be somewhere in between. And yeah, we're going to serenade you with some of some of the best ofs from my previous shows and some new songs and new acts and whatnot as well. And of course, it's going to include Goon of Fortune because, you know, that was a staple of my online shows during the pandemic. So I feel like I feel like I just need to keep that in there. But yeah, that's that's what I <laughs> that's what I'm doing. It's featuring the wonderful Matthew Hardcraft, aka June Bag, on the piano. And then I've also got Belinda Hannah Reed and Brock Hudson being part of the shows as well. So think Christmas party, think funeral for 2021, think uh, campy cabaret glittery fun, and you'll be right on the money. I'd like to say a huge thank you to Tash York for being on the show. It was awesome to get an insider's view of the business behind show business. For more info about Tash and what she's got coming up, head to tashyork.com. I'd also like to say thank you so very much for listening. It means a lot. I love creating this show and your support really is fantastic. This is actually the final episode of season two. We're going to have a little break over summer and we'll be back with plenty more awesome content for season three. So keep your ears out in February But until then, stay cool. Thank you. This podcast was produced by Joy Media. You can support Joy's diverse sound and diverse community this June by donating to Joy Radiothon 2024. Go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. And remember, we all flourish with joy. Joy.